mercy and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Wow, what a great song that is, huh? I mean, powerful stuff. Uh, that Carrie Job uh, version uh, sung so powerfully and awesomely by Kelly. Grateful for her ministry. Powerful. Moving another soulful song of summer. Be still, my soul. Kind of makes you wonder if you were looking at those lyrics. I mean, those lyrics are powerful to that, to that song. Kind of makes you wonder what the writer of those lyrics was going through when she wrote them. Her name is Katharina von Schlegel. She was born in 1697. She was actually a German Lutheran. Some say she was a Lutheran nun, which I didn't know they had those. And uh, through a series of events, the history of that song is amazing. The lyrics made it to America and made it to us today this very morning. That's a powerful song. The lyrics suggest that uh, Katharina von Schlegel, that she was going through something in her life, that some sort of sadness, some sort of personal grief or illness, some great disappointment, something challenged her confidence in her faith, something you might call tumultuous. Now, she lived at a time, 300 years ago, she lived at a time when, when people died young, And people died from simple illnesses. Mortality was a uh, fact of everyday life. That could have been the cause. We don't know for sure exactly, but we do know something happened in her life that completely rocked her world. But if you look at the lyrics of those songs, you see that essentially three things ring out. That somehow she found hope and somehow she found a way through. And she basically asserts three things. That one, God is with us. And two, God is in control. And three, God is coming again. And because of that reality, she was able to sing those lyrics to that song, Be Still, My Soul. She's drawn from Psalm 37, verse 7, which says, Be still, before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. And look at these last words given our culture, our time right now, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Those words were written 3,000 years ago, yet how relevant they are. But if we're honest here today, And we look at those words, and we hear that song, Be Still, My Soul. I think if we're actually honest with each other, we talk to each other, and we look into our hearts, we would probably say that those words, be still, those words are easier said than done, right? Because sometimes when we're in the midst of something tumultuous in our lives, the last thing we want is someone giving us what appears to be a trite, cross-stitch pillow cliché right? Everything's going to hell in your life, but be still, right? When something bad has happened in our lives, something that brings fear, something that brings anxiety, especially if it's been some sort of injustice that has occurred to us, I've experienced a little bit of injustice in my life, just a tiny little bit. I remember my last church, Palm Sunday, 2008, the church was broken into, the office was ransacked, the safe was stolen. Two days later, an attempted burglary on my home. A year or so later, a dead rat was placed outside my church office because I had helped the police catch someone who stole wallets in our church the week before. Later, I had a brick thrown through my office window. Those things were unjust. And I'm telling you, they brought a certain amount of anger into my heart. 
because my family, my church, my loved ones had been threatened. But in reality, it really was just a small, little, tiny sampling of injustice. But trust me, you can ask my wife, I was mad. Right? And it kind of made me start thinking about this past week or two. Like you, I've heard some very terrible and evil things spoken about African Americans, spoken about Jewish people, spoken about all sorts of people. And we have seen some very terrible and evil things done to our fellow human beings. And I can only imagine the amount of anger that someone must feel when, when someone threatens you with words, with weapons, with vestiges and symbols of slavery and the Holocaust when your life and your family and your faith and even your church is threatened because of the color of your skin and your cultural heritage. My wife and I, we had a hard enough time trying to explain that to our kids, and I imagine it is a whole lot harder for those who are the target of such hatred and bigotry and racism. I have to admit, if I'm honest with you today, that just singing, be still my soul, on the surface, on the surface, it doesn't seem enough. It doesn't seem enough. It doesn't seem enough because we yearn for justice. We yearn for good to overcome evil. We yearn for the right to overcome the wrong. And I kept on reading Psalm 46. It's in your bulletin there. I kept on reading that psalm over and over and over this past week, trying to reconcile the terror that we've seen in Spain, the global threats of nuclear war, the white supremacy and the terrible things that happened in Charlottesville. How does that all mix together with the song, Be Still My Soul, and our Psalm 46 today? Psalm 46, it wasn't written 300 years ago. It was written around maybe 3,000 years ago. But it too was written in a time of crisis. And if we thought it was bad 300 years ago, I'm telling you, 3,000 years ago, natural disasters would wipe out people. Terrible, horrible wars and battles and the savagery, if you read about what happened in the ancient years. Religions that required parents to sacrifice their own children. I mean, injustices abounded. Is it possible for us to find comfort in those words, be still, today? Psalm 46, verse 1, the psalmist, 3,000 years ago, he writes, God is our refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The psalmist is saying, even if earthquakes, even if nuclear bombs and raging seas devastate the creation, and if you remember in the Old Testament, the seas were a metaphor. The raging seas were a metaphor for evil. Even if evil were to overtake all that we view as stable. This 3,000-year-old believer said, I will not be afraid. God is my shelter God is my strength. It's a normal human being wrote this thing 3,000 years ago. And he moves into verse 4 and he says, because there is a river. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. You see, in the ancient Near East, most of the large cities had a river that would flow through them and into them to give them life. 
But Jerusalem didn't have a river. The city of God. It had God, the Spirit, flowing into Jerusalem, giving it life. And this city, this holy place, this holy place throughout the Old Testament. See, it's all pointing forward to the New Testament church. We are Jerusalem. We are the city of God. And in verse 5, the psalmist says, God is within her. God is within the church. She, the church, will not fall. God will help her, the church, at break of day. Break of day is when the enemies would attack the city. And in verse 6, nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord Almighty, literally, that is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. And the psalmist is saying justice will prevail. We will lose some battles, I guarantee it. But in the end, our God wins the war. And then in verse 8, then in verse 8, these powerful words, come and see. The psalmist is writing, come and see. And we hear those words, come and see, in the Old Testament. They're often an invitation for us to come into the future, Come into the future and see. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. The psalmist is saying that ultimate peace, ultimate justice is coming when Jesus comes again. And in the midst of this psalm, something interesting happens. I've heard this verse so many times throughout my life. Verse 10, God says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. God is speaking. But the more I thought about it, the more I studied it, I never really, really dived into this psalm before. I started asking myself, well, who is God talking to? And what does he actually mean? Is it a be still my soul kind of thing? Is he talking to the souls of his people? Is he talking to the nations? Is he talking to the earth? Or is he talking to the chaos of creation that he's just described in the psalm? The raging seas, the roaring nations, the wars, and her weapons of bow, spear, and shield. Who is God saying be still to? We fast forward a thousand years after that psalm was written, 2,000 years ago. And we come and we find ourselves a dark skinned, olive skinned Jewish rabbi saying these same words in the midst of tumultuous seas and in the midst of people who were afraid for their lives. Mark chapter four, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him and then a furious squall came up, the roaring, raging seas. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, rabbi, don't you care? If we drown. That sound familiar? When the sea roars and it feels like your boat is going down and you're going to drown, how many times? Jesus, don't you care about me? Us. Verse 39. 
Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind. He said to the waves, and here it is, my friends. My eyes have been opened. He said, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this guy? That even the wind and the waves obey him. My friends, that's when we begin to see that maybe, just maybe there is something more to these two words, be still. How many of you are a parent out there? Any parents out there? All right. Any teachers out there? We got some of you, right? All right. Some of you parents, some of you teachers, you may know a little bit of what this is about, right? Because when your kids are screaming, and if you have more than one kid, usually, you have kids are screaming and yelling and hitting and punching and raging like the seas and fighting and throwing stuff, and you come raging in and you say, be quiet. Mr. Harrison and Mrs. Vebe are much better at me than me at that. I know. They're good. It only works occasionally for me, but you know when you come in and you rage, be quiet. An abnormal calm comes across the room, and your children look up at you like justice is coming. Right? That's a fraction of what we're we're talking about here. Jesus wasn't commanding his children or some kids in a classroom. He was commanding the chaotic and broken creation. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? This is God. The same God who said in verse 10 of Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And we see a different side to those words, be still. We see a rebuke. We see an utterly powerful, resounding, and ultimately eternal rebuke to a restless, chaotic, and unjust world. And so on the one hand, our thirst for justice in this world is vindicated because we see that justice is at the heart of God and what he will accomplish. But we are confronted with a mystery, aren't we? We are confronted with the mystery of grief and pain and loss and hatred and enmity and racism and bigotry and a whole bunch of other broken stuff that we have in this world right now. And because of that, we're tempted to say to God, God, if you want justice, God, and if one day you are going to cry out, be still, why don't you do it now? Ever asked that question? Why don't you do it now? My friends, that question cannot be answered in a 20-minute sermon But I think it invites us, and our text invites us to begin to try. And first off, it starts by looking into the mirror. And I'm not talking about the 25 mirrors we have in our homes. I'm talking about the mirror of God's word. And the longer you look into the word, the longer you read the Holy Scriptures, the more clearer you begin to see yourself, and the more the Scriptures begin to read you. 
And the more you reflect on that, the more you see the many times, one, that I have hurt others. Many times I've hurt people with my words, with my greed, with my silence, with my thoughts. And we see the many times that we have been unjust, that I have been racist, that I have been abusive, that I have been divisive and destructive to myself, to my family, to my loved ones, to my church, to my co-workers. Yet at those very moments when I acted unjustly, God was not just. God was merciful to me. God granted me his grace and his forgiveness. And he placed not his wrath upon us, but upon his son Jesus. And man, did he nail that wrath to the cross. And that's when we see, there, I don't know if you saw this line or heard this line that Kelly just sang a moment ago. We sang it together. The line was, be still my soul. And then it said, all now mysterious shall be bright at last. Living here and now in a broken world at times is completely mysterious. But in the end, when Jesus comes again, all will be bright at last. But until then, my friends, we seek justice and mercy for the world, for ourselves, and even for our enemies. And if Katarina von Schlegel and the psalmist from 303,000 years ago can do it, I think we can too. And we could take from us with us today that one, God is with us, two, God is in control, and three, God is coming again. And because of that, we can sing, Be Still, My Soul.